what does it mean to be human if you're just putting yourself in this little bubble? We we need to weather this together. We need the best minds on it. And we need to be really logical about it as well. And just have a little bit of hope because historically, actually, there's a lot of evidence to back up that hope in that we have solved many huge problems in the past. Why wouldn't we continue to do that now? The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. The world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever. Making the right decisions should not be partisan politics. Please help spread the rational view by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. Together, we can make a better future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. In this episode, I'm going to be chatting with uh, a returning guest, uh, amazing, amazing person uh, who I, I interviewed early on in the podcast, uh, Zeon Lights, uh, who's an advocate for uh, climate and nuclear energy, and also a, a, an astronomer, an enthusiastic uh, outreach person. And we're going to talk about an issue that I think has come up um, a lot on social media these days and is, uh, I think, tearing at the hearts and minds of society, and that is degrowth. Uh, and it's kind of opposite eco-modernism. You, you, there's two ends of the environmental spectrum. One is techno-optimistic and one is, is Luddite techno-pessimistic. Uh, I would say I'm closer to eco-modernism than to degrowth, uh, looking at technology as a tool to help us live more in tune with the environment and learning about what the environment needs to support all of our all of our civilization without overshoot uh, versus the people who say, no, we've already overshoot technology has failed us, drop it all and go back to medieval lifestyle. So interesting discussion coming up. As always, please hit like if you enjoy this podcast and Come talk to me on my Facebook group, The Rational View. If you have any points you'd like to, to share, uh, I'll be posting a link to the article and uh, you can put your comments right there. Uh, let me know what you think. Xeon Lights is a science communicator who is known for her environmental advocacy work. She's founder of the evidence-based climate activism group, Emergency Reactor, and author of The Ultimate Guide to Green Parenting. Xeon has become a world-leading speaker on clean energy, specifically nuclear energy, and also lectures on effective science communication, tackling misinformation and climate action. Xeon is also a keen astronomer who has given a TED Talk on the importance of stargazing. She's the former editor of The Hourglass, Extinction Rebellion's print newspaper, and was also a spokesperson for the group for two years. Xeon, welcome back to The Rational View. Hi, Al. Thanks for having me back. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Your your work is is tremendous. You're you're really doing good things with Emergency Reactor and, and fighting the good fight. And we've had some really good news lately in in the nuclear uh, front here in Canada. We we just got an announcement from the government that they're going to try to refurbish the Pickering uh, reactor, which is fifteen percent of our electricity in Ontario. So, you know, good on you for keeping up that fight. Thank you so much. Yeah, there's been um, there's been a lot of change recently. I, I was asked to write an article recently, um, a kind of nuclear update, and I looked at the last one I wrote two years ago, and it's actually amazing how 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 much has changed in just two years. And also, some countries completely U-turning, going from yeah. phasing out to, yep, can we? How can we build more? That it's incredible, really, how quickly it's happened. It's very promising. Were, were you at COP twenty eight? I didn't make it to COP28 this year, no, okay. but I know about the um, agreement to triple nuclear energy. I think it was 20, yeah. 26 countries, 26 nations. Yeah, um, amazing. And, and that's amazing because I was at, what was the last one I went to? I went to COP26 in Glasgow and there was no mention of nuclear there. We couldn't mm. get in the green zone. We were put in the blue zone. Um but we were kind of, the activists were kind of lumped with the industry people, which is fine, you know, and they're a lot of them my friends now, but um, mm -hmm. that's not what we're doing. We're specifically trying to say we're not affiliated with the industry. These are our views. And we weren't allowed a space there. There was a big kind of argument about it, actually, uh, with COP26. It's amazing how that shifted now at COP28. 
there was supposed to space in the green zone and there was that huge huge wow. message to the world wasn't there about tripling nuclear energy and they're very proud of it which i think is is game changing actually i've never seen anything like it and and if you'd asked me about it a few years ago i would have said we're years away from that so it just shows how quickly things can change yeah yeah i, I remember people had told me you know a lot of people's opposition to nuclear was not based on rational thought or, or having thought about the issue it was just kind of a generic everyone knows this and a little i think a little bit of just continuing to work to get the visibility that yes scientists do agree that this is clean yes scientists do agree that this is safe and you know getting over that initial knee-jerk fear reaction like going on a an airplane for the first time you know realizing that it's safer than driving <laughs> i think it's the same sort of thing and i'm, I'm really happy that things are, are turning around for us um so i want to talk a little bit in this episode about a blog article uh, that you wrote that i i came across on on degrowth uh, you know rebutting the idea of degrowth because there's a segment of environmentalists who believe uh, that progress and expansion has to be stopped to bring us back to a sustainable civilization, that we're way past the ecological carrying capacity of the earth. And I'd love to explore this topic with you because it's something that I struggle with. Um, uh, you know, I was very interested in the data and, you know, a lot of it is, is, is basically just by f argument by fiat. This is technology is bad on one side, technology is good on the other side. What? Let's get to the evidence. You posted a graph in that article showing several major economies mm -hmm. that have achieved significant economic growth while decreasing their per capita CO2 intensity. Mm -hmm. Many would argue that this is because production is being offshored to poorer countries. How did you respond to that? Well, actually, I mean, that's accounted for in the data. Um, so they, it's not that there's a lot of that offshoring. There is some, but not enough to... <laughs> to change the basic fact that I think it was something like 70 countries in 2016 um, experienced a growth in GDP while also having at least five years of decreased emissions. I mean, this is, I mean, I understand that people don't want to believe it and they'll instantly say that's because of offshoring. But actually, if you look at what those countries are doing, you can see really high environmental standards um, that have come into place in only recent years. You can see, you know, things like air quality improving, water quality improving, looking at where they're getting minerals from. So it's, it's quite a lot of different factors, not just one thing. There are lots mm -hmm. of changes that come in as, and this is a very typical trajectory, as countries gain wealth, they then can look at, well, what's the what's the air quality like? So for, this ha happened in Britain, right? In the Industrial Revolution, lots of building, lots of, you know, steam steam powered trains and and coal. You know, we were, we were the hub for, for steam power, weren't we? Um, and But coal is very dirty. And even people I know who lived here in the 70s before I was born say, you have no idea how dirty it was. Cars were dirty. There was a, there was a saying that just a parked car was um, more envi environmentally damaging in the 70s than one now going at 100 miles per hour. And I'm not talking about electric vehicles. I'm just talking about the standards where they would just sit there and just leak, you know, all kinds of chemicals. They're Oil much cleaner. They're much cleaner. Unburned but they, hydrocarbons. So after, they, after the country reached a level of wealth, then they looked at what's actually happening to the air quality. Where actually in Britain, you know, a lot of people were suffering from respiratory issues because of the coal mining. Um, yes. A lot of there was stunted growth in children and specifically the coal miners. So once then they looked at that, they looked at, well, how do we move forward? And I think that will happen in India, that will happen in China, which is where people like to point fingers and say, look at the air quality, it's dirty, whatever. But always, once you reach that level of wealth, then you look at health. But you can't, you don't look at health before that, because before that, you're looking at very basic things like how many people have access to electricity, how many people have food on the table. These very, very basic things like getting people out of extreme poverty. Uh, I know, you know, we still have poverty in the UK, but extreme poverty, you know, people living under $3 a day, you know, try, trying to live on $3 a day. Um, once you get past that, typically that's when you see the emissions go down. Yes, some of it is outsourced. Some of it is that your goods are coming from China, but not all of it. The bulk of it is that the environmental standards at home improve and only wealth enables people to do that. So actually that degrowth argument is really fundamentally flawed because nowhere have we seen that the deindustrialization is improving emissions or making environmental standards higher. That That is not happening. And you can look at somewhere like Germany for that example. Um, actually, people have said, you know, the industrialization there is leading to fewer emissions, isn't it? Because a lot of their 
um, companies are closing, but actually it's outsourcing. <laughs> the ones that are going abroad are still going to emit. So, uh, mm-hmm. it, so it, it's complicated. It's much more complicated than just saying if we live with less, the planet will be better off. That's that's a very convincing lie that people have told for a long time that a lot of people are falling for in the same yeah. way that people fell for you know fears about nuclear energy that just weren't true and when you actually speak to them about it they say oh okay i'll change my mind on that that yeah. i didn't know about the data you say uh, in your article poverty is the greatest polluter uh, and imply that economic growth will decrease pollution but overall and you know sure we're decreasing the intensity from the peaks but overall, Western nations consume orders of magnitude more power, land, energy, and resources than the poorest segment of the world's population. Sure. And that's why I'd argue that we need to have clean energy sources, because most of that is using electricity, right? You have a smartphone and you have, um, you might have an EV now, electric vehicle, you have a laptop. We all have these things. But at the same time, you still, in terms of consumption, we still actually get better. So if you think, um, if you think just, you know, again, before I was born, or even maybe when I was growing up, people would have, um, you know, a hand. What are they called? The old phones, like a handheld dial-up rotary phone, dial phones. Right? Yeah, is that what they were called? Um, so you'd have one of those. You make me feel old. <laughs> and you'd have you'd have a GPS thingy for dri- driving places. Uh, you'd have a calculator. We had calculators. I remember using calculators. Mm-hmm. We don't have these products because everything is in your phone, right? Mm. So actually, if you look at it statistically. All the minerals and mining and and manufacturing that went into creating each object that all of us would have one of, right? We'd all have one of these products, many of them, like this is a huge list, um, is now just all in your telephone. And so people will say, well, your phone has a cost. Yes, it does have um, an environmental cost, but comparatively... That innovation and wealth has enabled us to reduce that environmental cost, and no one ever thinks of it that way. But if you really look back at how much, how many resources were needed for all the different goods, and that's just one example. You could also say the same thing about other um, forms of technology. But I think the phone is a good example. Let me me play devil's advocate here. I mean, we also didn't replace our phones and cameras every three years; they would last for you know ten or fifteen years. the, The sort of consumption economy where we have to get a new phone every two or three years is is, is kind of hurting yeah that yeah so, I mean, yeah um i mean i don't think everybody's doing that but it's true that people like to upgrade and get the best but then you know get the best um product but then they'll often sell their old product won't they so it's still hmm. you know i don't i i do agree i do agree that we we're quite wasteful um we don't hmm. need to be so wasteful um and I think there's a balance between encouraging that innovation and having the latest product, but also not not creating waste and not just you know throwing your old product away. But I, I think that's inherent to all technologies. If you think about things like solar panels, well, the earliest models, you couldn't recycle them at all, right? They're literally still sitting in landfill sites. This is really mm-hmm. not, not yeah. good. Um, now, they're making more recyclable versions. However, they're not always recycled. And even when people want to, there isn't a way to recycle them. Does that right. mean we should just get rid of them? Well, you know, again, I think a lot of these things are we should we should have innovation, but we should have longevity as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we're not very good at thinking long term generally. Um, and I say that a lot. So we don't think about the cost of waste unless you're talking about nuclear. Then all people think about is waste. But everything <laughs> else, right? Everything else, yes, get, yes. waste gets a pass. And I think that's that's a shame because we do have a finite planet. Uh, find out amount of space and we should think about you know when you get this i i don't think it should be that complicated when you get so when i was in germany when you buy anything in a glass bottle uh it has a small charge on it it's like i can't remember it's like 50p very small charge Mm -hmm, and when mm -hmm. you take that when you take the bottle back to be recycled you get the money back it's very incentivized and everybody does it when i i saw just lots of people doing it it's very normal over there and that 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 to me could could be done with basically all products that everything gets mm-hmm. cashed in whereas actually we don't have that it's, it can be quite hard to know where to pass things on to um i met someone uh recently at a conference who told me he's a bulgarian and he's um he's an old school you know very he's an engineer he's into fixing things really interesting guy he mm-hmm. said that when his washing machine broke there was nowhere in bulgaria there was nowhere to send it so he just hmm. he just has it in his basement, and he said it had been there for about fifty years. 
which I just found really interesting because I was like, surely, wow. and he's an engineer. So if, if he could have used it for parts and things, you know, he, he, he would have. And I thought that was interesting because I don't really think about what will happen to my washing machine when it goes away. No one does. And, but at the same time, we all use them. We all need them, mm -hmm. but that it's not kind of factored in. And I think that wasteful attitude is something we need to deal with. Um, but unfortunately, the conversation really lands. It, it becomes about um, should we have this or shouldn't we? And there are environmentalists who would say, don't have a washing machine. I, kn I know those people. Um, but I'm saying yeah. there's a middle ground here. Have have it. But let's think about think about the longevity. Think about what happens with it afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know, can these things be built so that they are they are easily repurposed um, or they last a long time? Like some of the like you say, some of the old old cars that are still going. Um, although they, they're still going and they've been updated, haven't they? A lot of them have been updated, so they're not as environmentally polluting. So there is a way to do it. But I think, as ever, it's capitalism. And if people will pay for it, companies will do it. But if we don't even have the conversations, it won't change. And that is, yeah. our, that is a very Western, wasteful attitude, I would say. There seems to be um, a bit of a conflict between um, consumerism and capitalism and sustainability. And, you know, the, the incentives, the economic incentives are to uh, continue producing more things, even if you don't need them, to, to make things uh, artificially uh, fail. You know, you've, we've seen Apple, I think, uh, degrading their phones after a while. There was a, a scandal that they were slowing down their phones mm -hmm. because at a certain age to get people to buy the next one. And so there's this incentive for companies mm. to make you buy new things and replace your old things and make them cheaper so that out of cheaper and cheaper materials uh, and not having them last there also is a, a movement which i'm quite interested in in finding things that last really well and, and looking for you know paying extra for things that will last a long time but you know the root of this is 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 growth mindset in 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 capitalistic economy the three at three percent growth the economy doubles every 24 years and you know uh barring any sort of breakthroughs in recycling and, and efficiency that's a doubling of environmental damage mm. uh, do we have any feeling for you know what the carrying capacity is of the environment or where you know what yeah. what's what's the well, think, what's the smart I, area yeah i think the issue is unfettered capitalism so just what you're talking about we're free for all that i don't support that let's not do that that's why you have for example democracies democratic governments step in and say things like what happened i think again it was an apple example wasn't it where their um their charges were not sort of universal they were very specific to the phone so you needed a charger you forgot your charger at home you'd have to replace it with that same um the same cables and they've changed that now haven't they so mm -hmm. they've got universal ones coming in which just makes sense in in so yeah. many ways and that's where you need i think and obviously your biggest capitalists won't like this but you need the demo the democratic process to step in and say what actually benefits people and the environment um mm -hmm. and then you can have rules like that come in and actually cost them nothing to just change the kind of charge they're making and making it readily available yes they'll make less money because now people can buy the same charger anyway but they're making a lot of money anyway um and we you can't just i mean that's the problem with capitalism is you you sort of are only looking at things in terms of financial cost aren't you and we really need to also look at human cost and health yeah. cost and, and planetary cost which again are really good conversations to have and i think that charger example is a good place where people had that conversation they didn't just say span these products you know um, they they found a way around it, mm -hmm. and I think the problem is people tend to fall into one camp camp or the other. This is bad; we don't want it. Or no, this is good. Let's have it limitless. It should be completely yes, unfettered. Yes. And that that's dangerous. I'm not. I'd never advocate for that. You know. <laughs> um, but the conversation's got to happen somewhere in the middle, and it's got to happen on many different levels about many different things. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that that does come back to energy as well, right? Like people want to have. Um, the wind farms and the solar panels, and that's fine. I understand why, but be honest about the mineral requirements, the resources, and the space as well that they take up. Be honest that the planetary cost is greater, even if it it it's better than fossil fuels. Is there something else that we can have that isn't fossil fuels that it that that is better on all those counts? Yes, there is. Um, that's a conversation I have with people a lot. 
and mm-hmm. they'll still often say, "I'll take the product that looks cleaner." I mean, that's just ca- it's a capitalistic thing as well, isn't it? I'll take, yeah. Uh, I'll take the thing that's not going to last as long. Uh, it's cheaper up front, and it and and it's my preference. Well, you're not taking into account the human and planetary cost, or the or the yeah. or the not just human, just all, you know, all life on the planet. Yeah. So, I think that there are scientific roots and you know evidence-based reasons to to slow down growth and they're you know the, the scientific roots of the degrowth degrowth movement are associated with malthusianism and basically mm. saying that any species that flourishes in its environment tends to eventually eat itself out of resources and starve and you know we're on many people would say that we're already there we're in an ecological overshoot position based on the number of people we have and the number of hectares of uh, farmland that we need to support them at their current technology level others will say that oh technology will continue to produce as much as we ever need but the question is you know no one's actually making these balance equations in a way that anyone would believe it's it's all how you feel about this mm. in, in my opinion the whole thing so I, I'm kind of a centrist in in uh, you know growth versus degrowth or degrowth versus eco-modernism and you know, certainly I'm a techno optimist I believe that continuing to get better technological tools helps us to cope with the situation but i think you know slowing down population growth is probably a good thing in general for the planet and slowing down consumerism is also a good thing well Um, yeah i mean i mean the population thing is already happening isn't it um Mm -hmm. everywhere in the world we're facing population decline now um some of us are yet to peak some countries like japan south korea already have massively aging populations and a deficit of young people and they're Mm -hmm. having to deal with the consequences which no one really thought about because everyone was worrying about overpopulation instead of underpopulation so you gave an example of not being able to feed people and this what this is yeah it comes from thomas malthus malthusianism but a lot of environmentalists today jane goodall david attenborough they still carry that forward they still say um, I think there was that clip recently i don't know if you saw it last year of jane goodall saying you know if she could click her fingers and and, and half the population of the world without causing suffering. She did say that without causing pain or suffering, she would. And there was a lot of kind of, when did the environmentalists Thanos. become Thanos? And I said, they've always been Thanos. They've always been Thanos. Um, I mean, that, but, that really but, is the mindset the of thing, the degrowth, but right? The thing is, but the thing that I, the problem I have with it is not, it's not that there aren't arguments against some growth. Like, I agree with you. There are some good things within degrowth. If you really read what they're saying, I agree with a lot of that. I came yeah. from the hippies, right? I grew up with the hippies. That that was me. I can see some of their arguments. The problem is where they're lying. They're, mis- they're misleading people. So for example, completely mis- Malthus Mal- completely misled people in saying that um, there will be too many people to feed. That's not what happened. Actually, improvements in crop yields, thanks to technological advances, has led to a decrease in use of agricultural land. So we, it's something like, um, yeah, it's a seven percent increase of agricultural needs, while the population increased by over a hundred percent. I think it's one hundred forty-seven percent, something like that. It's in my article. But basically, mm-hmm. you know, the things that they said would happen, the opposite happened. But the things that he said would happen had world, you know, um, were repercussions around the world. Where you know, in India, they they encouraged people to be sterilized, and although they said it was mandatory sterilization. Um, they made it so you couldn't do certain things like own a house unless you could prove that you'd been sterilized. And I think wow. that's really, yeah, because it was basically, he was set because when he wrote all of that, he wasn't saying, he wasn't saying it was the British, right? He was saying, look at all these Indians. <laughs> there's, so, there's too many of them. That's what he was saying. There's too many of them. And even David Attenborough has been guilty of that, where there was a video that got taken down, where in the video he's talking about there's too many people and all the footages of brown people. <laughs> Whereas, as you said, uh-huh, they're uh-huh. consuming less. They're consuming like 10 times less than the Westerners. So, you know, what are you really worried about here? Um, mm. Yeah, so so there, there's lies in there about, um, you know, we won't be able to feed people. That that never transpired. Um, mm-hmm. Population will infinitely increase. No, everywhere is on the decline now, apart from, South Af- uh, apart from Africa. And I think that's going to be really interesting, actually, that there's going to be a lot of 
uh, highly skilled young people in Africa and a lot of countries like mine going, can we poach you? Because we have a massive skills deficit and an aging population that's all to come. And you can see that happening in Japan at the moment. So my problem is that they've taken something that could have really good arguments and they've just, they've, they've based their arguments on either, frankly, kind of racist thinking. Um, so many people over there, uh, they're causing the destruction of the planet. Are they though? And they're also, right, right. Um, yeah, they've ignored the, some of the basic things like the conversation we had about, well, how can you make sure you have the legislation that makes these products environmentally friendly? That just, that to me is a no-brainer. Put that in there in the beginning, you'll have less waste, you'll have products that last longer, which means it's financially beneficial for everyone. And most people don't want to have to replace their washing machine every few years. You know, um, yeah, there will always be some people who want to trade in their phone and get the latest model. There will always be that. But I would say that's not most people. So there are a lot of things that you could do um, to encourage, you know, yeah, reduce consumption. I mean, and there are different ways of doing it. And there's some ways I wouldn't agree with. Um, I think incentivizing people to, for example, insulate homes so they use electricity. That's great. We should do that. And we should also help people to do it when they can't afford to just make sense. Um, but some of the things, some of the measures they brought in in Germany, for example, um, you know, I don't agree. I don't agree with things like telling people to ration electricity, um, you know, the, the impacts that's had on people where they've made poor decisions in the energy realm, which has led to businesses shutting that. That's really sad to me. I mean, I went over there and, and met nuclear workers who were just like, there's no work for us here now. We spent wow. we spent 20 years studying. Uh, so we could have these jobs, which we thought we'd have for life. And that put bread and butter on the table for our kids. And now we have like literally there's no jobs for them. I mean, where are they wow. going to go? Probably France. And no one thinks about them. No one cares. Um, there's consequences to degrowth, right? There's consequences to saying we don't need that anymore. We'll take that away. Well, that that, that was someone's job. That was someone's livelihood. Um, yeah, we, and we, I, wish, I think we need to we need yeah. to highlight the the consequences of degrowth because I, wish, I yeah. think it's winning the the hearts and minds of of the majority of people because you have this beautiful uh, you know appeal to nature fallacy going on that oh we're all going to live in harmony with the land we'll all become subsistence farmers again you know it, it's stemming from the the narrative that collapse is imminent and that it's being caused by technology exactly. Um, and, exactly. and there are a lot of reasons to see this because there's a lot of, you know, companies doing bad things with pollution. And, and it's easy to, to pick out examples of bad actors. There's uh, also um, this kind of a, this idolization of nature. Now, look, again, mm -hmm. I ran with the hippies. I did my time camping out in trees, trying to sort of being cut down and all that stuff. I did that, right? I'm not saying this as an outsider. I've been there and I've... I've taken a step back and said, is this logical? Is this actually helping the issues that I want addressed? Is it helping people? And, you know, environmentalism is very, it's very Western. Like it's very, it's very small thinking. No, honestly. So for example, if I think about the community I grew up in, I, I have Indian heritage. I grew up in Britain, but my parents are Indian. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't revere nature in this way, like protect nature. It's so beautiful because where they come from, nature eats you, right? Mm. Like my parents came from rural India, surrounded by jungle where like not, not exaggerating. There are freaking animals in there that will come into the village and, and eat children. Like if you're not careful until you're taught, you don't go too close there. You never go outside barefoot because there are venomous snakes, loads of things. But to some extent, they just kind of live with it. Like that's nature. Nature will, nature will come after you. They don't think of it as like this, you know, cute little beautiful idyllic. We will live on the land. They're like, no, we want to get off the land. We want to go to the cities where there aren't venomous spiders. We won't have horrendous deaths from snake bites. Um, and, and we're not at mercy of the elements. And then I, so I've been in these communities where we celebrate the elements. Oh, there's a thunderstorm and staying in a tent. Isn't it nice? But frankly, you know, the fact is because we've had so much growth, we're still safe. If we get bitten, which we won't in, in Britain because we have like nothing dangerous. But if we, if we did get bitten, <laughs> say we did have a, a snake that could, uh, a venomous snake. There's, I mean, five minutes you're at the hospital and you get instant treatment right that's mm -hmm. most of the developed world or most of the countries with wealth and that's what they want Are they and i always had trouble balancing this where I'd, I'd i'd hear people say well people were happier when they live on the land and you know they're washing their clothes in the river i mean that's hard 
Nobody wants to wash their clothes in the river every day. Maybe, yeah, we're on a we're at a festival and it's fun and and we're hippies and we're happy to to be dirty for a bit anyway. We'll have a shower in the river or whatever. But then we go home and we use a washing machine and we have a shower. And that is what billions of people still want and they don't have access to. But it's all lumped together. That that access you can't deny the fact that that access comes with growth, a certain amount of growth. Mm-hmm. And you can't deny that. And I and I definitely dislike this idea of you're happier if you're in nature all the time. Yes, there's lots of research to show that spending more time in nature is good for you. Having more trees on your road is good for you. Sure, all of that is good. And we should think about those things and, and implementing them. But living in nature, there's a reason we don't want to live in nature. It's not just living in a country house. The people that still live in nature are, you know... I've read about African communities where they're basically fighting with the local wildlife to maintain their crops because they'll just get eaten. And if they get eaten, those people starve. You know, they're at war with yeah, nature. Yeah. We, we made peace with nature because we made spaces for people, cities, and we tried to leave as, as much of the rest alone. That's what that's what a lot of developed countries have done. We have environmental regulations and we've tried to, because of that, we've seen a, you know, a return of a lot of species that have been going extinct and things like that. So there's still that balance to be had. But I think degrowth ha- is is dependent on this idea of we live on the land and it and it's better for everyone. Actually, it's just not true. That's very that's a thinking that very much comes from people that have not grown up living on the land. And yeah. if you did in a country house, by the way, it's like ten times more pollution to live in the country than it is to live in a city you probably already know about those figures but it's true you're much more polluting like mm. when you share resources and you're close to other people your environmental footprint is much lower yeah, yeah i think i think you know there's the extreme degrowthers who are um you know luddites like against all technology and they're you know exposing their argument as we need to go back to medieval living standards is really what they're saying uh where you know the life expectancy was was 20 years younger mm-hmm. and you know most you know many women died in childbirth we didn't have modern technology in in hospitals you know cancer it was a, light, a death sentence you know anything was a death sentence really that you <laughs> so many things were a death sentence mm-hmm. so you know it's easy to have rose colored glasses on the past but you know it's when you look at the evidence, living standards today across the world are better than they've ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, sure, maybe we are in ecological overshoot on our carrying capacity and that's something to be concerned about. And we need to be very careful about how we go forward and, and not go into this continued head down growth scenario. I mean, I think much of the the people that follow degrowth, the, their followers stem from a mindset that collapse is imminent, and all the mm. bad news they're getting from the climate, saying that you know uh, we're we're over our CO two limits, or we're going to be over our CO two limits, and runaway greenhouse effect is going to happen, and everyone's going to die. Mm. Oil and gas exploration is expanding. We still haven't hit peak CO two emissions globally, but we need to be at net zero in less than a decade. And carbon capture is still a fantasy. Uh, well, a lot we of them are protesting a... carbon capture, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the thing is, again, I used to be one of these people, um, but I think every generation has this thing where they think the world's going to end and it's going to be this thing. So, if if I go back again, just before I was born, sometime before I was born, you had mm-hmm. the ozone layer. The ozone layer was the thing. So I kind of grew up aware of it, but by then it had been resolved, but aware of the fear and the panic. And people really thought, that's it, we're dead. And actually, if we hadn't resolved that issue, of the hole in the ozone layer, then yeah, that would have had phenomenal consequences, negative consequences for all of us. But mm-hmm. countries came together and worked on it actually very quickly, um, banned CFCs and other chemicals that were causing the hole, and then very pleasantly uh, surprised when they learned that it could also repair itself, which people didn't know before there were a lot of unknowns and i think that's very similar to climate change and i've heard people say this is a bigger issue and it's a more serious issue but then i speak to younger people i've got friends who are much younger than me and they're saying the same things about ai ai is going to do this and i and i find it really interesting because i did grow up around these people who had this about climate change and had an awareness of the people before that who had it about the ozone layer and now i'm seeing people saying about ai and i'm thinking is this just some kind of human need to have this this kind of 
yeah, this this thing that's bigger than you. Pessimism. Well, we do have a kind of negativity bias. That's that's normal. We all, we mm-hmm. all have that. Mm-hmm. We, you know, one of those many cognitive biases that we have to work to overcome. Um, but and I have that too. You know, I'll see something and I'll instantly think a negative thing, and then I'll think, well, is that fair? Is that really what you're seeing? You know, think around the topic a little bit. Um, yeah. But when we do it collectively, then it just reinforces it, doesn't it? And and the AI thing really is. I mean, people are panicking. I mean, I've even. Even some of the most sensible people that I know have said to me, this is the end of civilization. And I'm like, this is, you're just speaking like the environmentalists that you really don't like. This is exactly the same. And they, they don't like that, but it's true. And I'm not saying mm. that it's not possible. I'm not saying there are a lot of unknowns, but I am yeah. saying if you look across our history, human history, let's just root for the humans for a minute because we have solved so many issues. We are living our best lives. We do have. But yes, there are still problems with air quality and poverty and all of these things, but it's less than ever before, ever in our history. More people are fed and have access to sanitation and and clean water and drinking water and and food and shelter and medicine, modern medicine and all of these things and education. And, you know, child mortality rates are so low comparatively like to ever before. And these are all fantastic things that have not happened by accident. These have happened because people chose you know, ultimately to improve that. How will we improve this? How do we save the, the great horned rhino in India from going extinct? It had, there were 40, they counted 40 in the wild, these rhinos in the seventies. And now there are 4,000. Yes, it's slow, wow. but it's changing because people, even though they're battling all these other things are changing it. And yet we make all these incredible positive changes. And then at the same time, we're very negative about humanity and I just I don't share that view anymore and I feel like I'm always surrounded by doomers I've got a lot, a lot of AI doomer friends now um, I've still got a, lot, a few environmentalist doomer friends who think collapse is coming tomorrow and I mean I mean preppers I know preppers who think if collapse comes tomorrow they've got their they've got their you know they can survive without electricity they've got the food growing in the garden <laughs> I mean I don't know how long for but that that's it that's mm-hmm. how it, how extreme their mentality is um, well, and it's I think not that's extreme. I, I grow no, stuff I think, in my garden too. <laughs> no, 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 no. But you're not preparing for collapse, like for being alone. Collapse. You're on your no, own. Not, and I, but I think, I think that's kind of. I think it's kind of sad. I think it's kind of sad because I think um, we solve these problems collectively, mm-hmm. right? And that's what it is. When I advocate for nuclear energy or GMOs or any technology that I think could be, you know, used in a positive way. AI can also be used in a positive way. It's a very controversial thing to say at the moment, but it's true. I advocate for that because it's advocating for that that has led us through history to solve these problems and to make the most of these things. It's techno-optimism has done it. It's only recently kind of been given that label, but that there's always there are always negative things. There are always we can always go the wrong way. But even with capitalism, you can we can rein that in. We can how can we use this best to our advantage? How can we use AI to our advantage but make sure it doesn't do these negative things? Well I've heard people say, you know, it will take over because it it will we've never faced a challenge like this and it will be beyond what humans can comprehend. Well, I've heard that about climate change. For years, I've heard people tell me that about climate change. And I'm looking at countries dealing with their emissions. Yes, we'll still need carbon capture as well. But in, even in the recent years, you look at how much change um, has come about purely because people do care. And that they are worried. And, you know, I don't see any unsolvable problems. I think actually we're really good at working together and solving problems when we need to. Uh, and the moment we stop doing that, that's when that's when there's a problem you know if, if you're going off and you're, you're stepping out of society you're just preparing because you're go- going to survive on your own yeah okay good for you but what does it mean to be human if you're just putting yourself in this little bubble we we need to weather this together we need the best minds on it and we need to be really logical about it as well and ha- just have a little bit of hope because historically actually there's a lot of evidence to back up that hope in that we have solved many huge problems in the past why wouldn't yeah. we continue to do that now? Uh, technology, you, know, you can't just demonize technology because t- technology is neither good nor evil. Technology is a tool that extends the capabilities of people and civilization. And yes, there are bad actors and yes, there are you know various incentives for bad, bad actors out there that need to be uh, looked at very closely. But I think, you know, I'm also technical, techno-optimistic. I think that giving ourselves the capabilities will help us in the long run. Uh, and, you know, 
people that you know are, are seeing AI and they're seeing GMOs as bad and nuclear energy as bad and all of these things as bad are, are really misinterpreting and hurting more than anything because they're slowing down progress. And, and yeah. you know, I agree that we have to be we have to understand the risks of any technology. We have to understand the risks of GMOs. We have to understand the risks of nuclear energy, and we have to be careful. Uh, and with you know, with increased power comes increased responsibility. And I think a lot of people don't see that responsibility being reflected in the social network of society at this point. So you know, social development has to go hand in hand with technology, technological yeah. development, or we're yeah. giving children weapons and i think and i think you know it's, it's almost technology moves too fast for us i think that's where it comes from so if you think um years ago when they started using google maps this is a really useful thing right we um we now can use gps to work out where we are and we don't have to get out a big atlas and and map it like we did when i was growing up um but to do that, they drove they drove around all the streets, right? So we had some problems with this in Britain. They drove down different roads, taking footage. A lot of people didn't like it, and they block their road, block their roads as they were invading our privacy. Um, and you know, these weren't designed to look in people's homes, but mm. they didn't know that. And to be fair, we should consider that. We should consider that they might be able to do that. And so they. A, mm-hmm. a compromise was reached where they said, we'll, "We'll blur out people. We'll blur out street names. We'll be really." careful with and that to, you know that should have been there in the first place it didn't it wasn't it was because people came forward and said and that's where i think we're missing you know pe- people being able to talk to the people that are up here who are designing things that might not always think about the day-to-day impacts you need to have the conversations with people down here who actually have to live with the impacts and same thing happened with drones when drones people started buying drones here it became very affordable to drive them to buy them again there were cases of people could see into your house so they had to bring in legislation say, actually, you can't just fly them in these areas. <laughs> um, something no yes, one thought yes. about. It seems like a really innocent technology. It's literally mostly it's just people who want amazing footage of nature, right? That's what they're using it for, to film yeah, a football yeah. match from above. Something really sweet um, could be used in a nefarious way. And that conversation didn't happen until they were everywhere. And then the legislation had to come in. I think that's a shame that it happens backwards. So that's where you end up getting a backlash where people mm-hmm. don't understand and they get afraid and they feel like they have no control. And then you're in this situation where they don't want GMOs, they don't want nuclear, they don't want things that actually have really positive applications. Those conversations kind of need to be had beforehand. And I'm really hoping that that will happen with things like AI. Um, because I think with climate change, we really messed that up. Those conversations have not happened. People, most people don't understand what we actually need to do to to tackle climate change, they genuinely, if you ask most people, when I do the stores with the emergency reactor, most people think, I don't use plastic straws, I don't use plastic bags, I try to cycle more. And I'm not saying that it doesn't make any difference. But in terms of tackling climate change, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you've been misled. <laughs> <laughs> the changes that need to happen are so large scale, like go out and advocate for clean energy, carbon capture storage. No one wants to talk about that. But we, even if we all decarbonize tomorrow, we still need carbon capture storage. Like we, mm-hmm. people need to understand this is a really big problem and we need all hands on deck. And it's not about, well, I had this meal that has a smaller carbon footprint than another meal that i could have had that that's really small thinking that's that's a shame because we need lots of people to come forward with with much bigger ideas actually and implementing them which some of that's shifting with nuclear for example because we've been having the arguments hasn't so much happened uh with carbon capture yet although I've, i'm thinking about starting to talk about that actually because i think that needs tackling um yeah. gmos it's sort of shifted a lot with gmos just saw eu legislation coming in really good uh, but they they fought, you know, they were fought tooth and nail on that um, by environmentalists. People call themselves environmentalists. Um, mm. And AI is the next one. And I think with AI, it's become two camps already. We don't want it or we want it completely unfettered. And I think, well, hang on, there's got to be a space there. And you have, and it's really interesting with AI because you've got, um, you know, world leaders trying to make legislation when they don't really understand the technology. And that, it's always that, the case. Yeah, that. <laughs> but no, but it's not different than than governments um, setting net zero targets that they will not meet. You know, you look at them, their energy policy. There's no way you're going to meet that with that energy policy. Where Where do you think 
how do you think this is going to happen? This, yeah. Yeah. Again, look just at what fantasy. Germany did. Look at look at how much coal they're burning. I mean, come on, coal, gas, okay, gas, good for transition. We can use gas, but coal. Yeah, I mean, horrible. that that's what happens if you don't really have good conversations and put aside your emotions for a minute. As soon as I hear the kind of doomer is co- coming out now, I just think I'm just going to disregard everything you say because that is not going to be logical, and we have to start having more logical conversations about all of this. Yeah, we need a middle ground. I think, you know, that that's always been my point of view here, you know, and unfettered growth is not good. We need unfettered capitalism is not good. It hurts people. We need regulate regulated highly regulated markets to ensure that, you know, markets are, are good ways to to value things, but only if the costs are properly captured in the market will the market respond logically. If the if the costs the, and including the economic or the ecological costs and the, the sustainability costs. Once you have that, people can can pick the best solution through through their spending. But without that, you get these distorted markets. And the problem is that it's very difficult. It needs everyone's in, inputs to say what is the proper cost of these things. We we can't just have you know a government official emotionally killing mm. nuclear versus mm. coal because obviously it ends up bad. Mm. So I, I think this middle ground is very important. Yeah. To find I mean, a middle ground between growth and, and degrowth. And in that example, you know, they went against the public because, and that's a shame because that's, I mean, democracy is there to represent people and they made a decision that actually Germans were against. And I'm not saying they were so pro-nuclear, they were saying build more, they weren't, but they were saying, actually, let's leave these open. That's what the poll showed. And they mm-hmm. went against that. And I really think these making those decisions is leading to this kind of erosion of democracy in a lot of Western countries. And I think that's that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, democracy is like um I just think of it as, as like a like a shield that it's a shield that we are growing up with that we don't even know is there. And mm-hmm. again, you only realize that when you look at, for example, I have a friend in China. Um, she's a, a really brilliant engineer, she's got a very successful YouTube channel. Some of the things that she's been put through, she's not allowed to talk about as a gay woman. She's not allowed to talk about that. They don't have gay people, apparently. And lots of other things. I mean, she's been really um, poorly treated because of that. And, and, and recently had her voice clamped down where she's been told, you don't, do, you don't post about these issues anymore. Um, wow. Do you know who I'm talking about? It's, no. So it's Naomi Wu. Um mm-hmm. I won't go into it too much because I know, but I'm only saying what she said publicly, but she's a very powerful voice, incredible engineer, really into 3D printing. I advise you to have a look at her video videos if you're interested. She's got over a million subscribers on YouTube, uh, but she's always been very politically active. So she'll say things mm-hmm. like this cu- couple was hurt because, you know, there was an example of this couple um, who were stabbed for walking hand in hand. It was a gay couple. Uh, this guy stabbed them and he basically admitted that, that was why but the press reported it as random stabbing. And she didn't like it because she's gay right, and she right. has a partner. So she she came out and said something about it. And she then, she said so. And I watched this happen, you know, good friends with her for years now. Um, and then suddenly she went quiet and then she wrote something that just says, like her last Twitter post, something it just says, um, I, won't, I won't be posting anymore on here because I had my wings clipped and they weren't gentle about it. And that's all it says. That's all it says. But can wow. you imagine? I know there are problems with democracy that we need to sort out, but can you imagine living in a dictatorship? Let's be honest about it. Like anyway, and I and I know that in the past mm. she's had trouble with she's gone a little bit over the line and she said something and she's had a call at her parents' house and she's had so she's had gentle threats, but for her to not even say what it is and to have just stopped, that really worries me. That makes that I just I hear people saying that this isn't a good country to live in. Yes, we have problems in the UK. I'm not saying we don't have problems, but we do have democracy. We we are allowed to say pretty much what we want. We can um, talk about and this no without one, being no beaten one will up. Come, exactly, being up or worse. And and hmm. I mean, it ter- terrifies me that people are growing up now. Say, you know, if you look at the polls, they're saying. Uh, there's a lot of people just don't trust the system anymore. They don't. They don't value democracy. And to me, um, this is it's it's not different than capitalism, is it? You know, it needs to have needs to work. It needs to have 
certain rules and you, there needs to be people need to play by the rule book which doesn't always happen that it needs to be kept on track by citizens um yeah but we can't just throw it out because it's the best tool we have if there's something better i 100 will embrace it but as far as i know it's the best tool we have i don't want to live in china i have no intention of going to china even though it looks beautiful i love naomi's video showing you know food markets and the architecture and stuff i i can't imagine being in a country where they can just take you out of your home and just treat you you know that it blows my mind because i grew up here and i have a lot of freedoms as yeah, someone who grew yeah. up here and i think actually we are so powerful our voices are so powerful here as well i can actually write to my mp and i can have a say i can go and you know get involved in the process she can't she can't at all about any issues but especially not controversial issues but those are arbitrary issues that are decided by one person and she made mm. the mistake of crossing over that line and has suffered the consequences so again that's just you know we're becoming very pessimistic about something that we should be we should be proud of and and, and glad exists in the same yes. way that capitalism is not perfect and it does need um, some interventions, but it is better than living in the alternatives. <laughs> which there's only one alternative, right? Like I'd love for there to be another utopia and this is perfect, but uh, you know those countries do present themselves as that way. To be fair, but they're not, are they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's that's very good. So. This has been a great conversation, Zian. I really appreciate chatting with you about uh, degrowth and, and getting your opinions. Uh, I loved your article. It was, you know, very thought provoking. I actually uh, cross posted it to a, a degrowth group and, and chatted about <laughs> and fielded a lot of questions. So many of my my uh, counter positions that I presented to you came from that discussion. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Good on you for for continuing to fight the good fight and and helping to improve the world. Thank you so much for coming to chat with us. Thank you. And if anyone wants to read the article, it's on my Substack. Just look for my name or Everything is Light, which is a Tesla quote. I named my Substack. Everything is Light. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.